from playing 18 to a full 60. Early leads to buzzer beaters. It all starts by getting on the board. Welcome inside episode 76 of On the Board. I'm Colby McKee across the glass in studio. Lance Dahl. Happy episode 76, Colby. Uh, is that PK Subban's number? I think so, yeah. Are we still going off of... We haven't done a uh, a jersey reference to no. the episode titles in a while. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So, but that was a good one. I think 76 is, mm-hmm. is PK. Uh, also on the line, Mr. Corey Bukowskis. Yeah, happy Brady Shade episode. Yeah. Oh. I, I not like, bad. I like my reference better, but no, yeah, you're good. I just, there's not a lot of 76s second. in the uh, in the sporting world that I can come right off the top of my head. I don't even know if Brady Shea wears. I was gonna say it starts but... with a seven, but Lord knows, like I fucking remember what it could it be is. anything really. Uh-huh. Maybe some yeah. offensive linemen in the NFL. Oh yeah, probably a lot of numbers. Mm-hmm. Not quite like yeah. receiver numbers, but no, no. But there's a few. There's a few for sure. Uh, lots to yeah. get into on tonight's episode. We'll start things off in the NHL as we often do. The Stanley Cup Final uh, is well underway. We thought it was going to be a sweep, but at last, the Montreal Canadiens last to fight another game. They take uh, Game Four last night uh, at the Bell Center. Josh Anderson, the hero, uh, he started the scoring. He finished the scoring. And, I mean, that last goal was, uh, that's a great play. Like, the fact that he can drive the net like that, mm-hmm. set it up for Suzuki, to just, they say he, like, set him up and, like, left it for him. I and mean, that's basically what he did, but it was, like, barely a stick touch. Like, if we really want to get into it, like, he, he had, like, one hand on his stick and then, like, just basically left it for him. And then Anderson did all the work to come back and, and get the game-winning goal. We'll start things off with you, Corey. Uh, what has your, been your thoughts on the series and uh, as we head into game six, or sorry, game five, rather, what do you expect for the rest of this series uh, between Tampa and Montreal? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, no, the series, it's, uh, I think it's been what kind of people have been expecting. I mean, obviously, we have the big Montreal Canadian supporter here and Lance Dahl, and he's been with them all three rounds until this one. He said Tampa Bay might have the advantage, and... They've shown it. I mean, obviously, they're the better team. They're friggin' $100 million over the cap or whatever it is, and uh, they're just loaded. Um, they've been the dominant team, and in the first three games, they showed it. And, uh, you know, game four was definitely a surprise. Like, I wrote Montreal off, um, but to their credit, they, they came out and battled. Um, they lowered the giveaways and the take, or, uh, yeah, mainly the, the, the giveaways. Um and they played Tampa Bay well. I mean, uh, a, a number that sticks out was the old for 5 power play for Tampa. I mean, Montreal stuck to their guns. Penalty kill kept them in it, especially that four-minute uh, that Shea Weber had. And then, um, yeah, like Carey Price just kept them in it enough throughout the game where, um, you know, a lucky bounce or hard work, whatever you want to call it, Josh Anderson gets them into a perfect position to win OT. Um Going ahead, though, game five, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Back in Tampa, got to go with the, what the Tampa Bay mayor was saying, and they're going to win in their five. Like, it's just tough to count Tampa Bay out um, in a game coming off a loss. So I don't think Montreal is going to have too much more fun in this series, but definitely good credit to them for, for winning that game four in Montreal. Yeah, a lot of people saying that Tampa hasn't lost back-to-back since 2019 playoffs. Um but, I mean, we've also been referencing the fact that Carey Price had never lost when there was three or more goals, and then that happened too. So, 
all, all that's all well and good, but eventually those things come to an end. Will it happen in Game 5? I don't know. Um, game 4 was not a great start for Montreal, though. I got outshot 11-1, to 1, I think, at one point to, to start the game. Um, giving five power plays to Tampa Bay is not a recipe for success. Uh, even with that penalty kill. Also, Corey, are you running from the cops currently? Is something <laughs> happening? Do we need to let you go? Close that wind. Is that loud? Yeah. Well, it's not quiet. I mean, I heard it, but I'm yeah. just making sure that you're okay. Can't That's both headphones uh, here. It's not a big deal. Okay. Like if if you're doing the 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 show today live from the streets of downtown Calgary. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm right next to the hospital. There's just oh. yeah. All right. Well, Anyways. if anything comes up and you got to go, just just feel free to go. Um, <laughs> We're on scene here <laughs> at the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Like in game five. If you want to do breaking news updates, for, we of, love of that. Cars going in and out of the hospital. If you want to go get some streeters, get some people's <laughs> opinions. <laughs> feel free. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was just it wasn't a good start for Montreal, and that's been the the biggest issue I think with this team so far this series. But it's one that you kind of expected because Tampa Bay's been there, done that. And they they know how to punch first. And once again in Game Four, Montreal got punched in the mouth a couple times, but Carey Price kept a minute early, and then they get that first goal. And the game's completely different when Montreal has been scoring first. And they they seem to start so well in the games that they've been winning. When you look back at the the previous three rounds to now, every game that they've won, almost every game has kicked off with a strong start in the first ten minutes. And trying to find that early goal and then setting the tone. And obviously, it's easier said than done, but that has to happen three more times if Montreal's going to have a shot at this thing. The The tricky thing is that momentum and confidence is a weird thing. And in every single series of Montreal, you can point to different instances where they started to believe, where they started to realize that they could hang with the team that they were playing. And you got glimpses of that throughout Game 4, but obviously when Anderson scores in overtime, it was even before that. It was once they killed that double minor that Shea Weber took for the for the high stick on Palat. As soon as they finished that kill at the beginning of overtime, you could see something flip. And suddenly they started to believe in themselves. And you almost saw it earlier in the series until Blake Coleman had a diving goal with .1 second left in the second period of what was that, game three? Yeah. Game two. I think it was game two because it was in Tampa, right? Right. Um mm-hmm. You almost saw that game give them the little bit of a lift, but you you really saw it come into full effect here in Game Four. If they are able to rattle off wins in Game Five, Six, and Seven, um, I won't be completely stunned. I'll be very surprised, but I just don't think the matchup is is there for them. I was saying to anyone that would listen that I the Islanders needed to be the team that they go up against in order for this to to be legitimately a shot for them, and I. I just think Tampa's too much all the way around. I know uh, some folks in the sports media realm have been calling these Canadians the Islanders advanced or whatever you want to call it. Just uh, a different, you know, sort of structure, uh, but with similar characteristics as that Islander team. And and as of right now, they haven't quite fulfilled that. I mean, Carey Price up until last night wasn't uh, the all-star, you know, best goalie in the world like he's been the first three rounds. It just, he what didn't look comfortable. He didn't look the part quite right. Uh, Suzuki's been phenomenal in this series. Uh, Philip Deneau has not had the uh, defensive impact, I guess, against those lines, the Kucherov line and the, and the Stamkos line, like he was expected to do and has done for the majority of these playoffs. The one thing I will say, and I think we both can all agree on this, 
nice to not have a sweep because if the Canadians went out in a sweep, <clears throat> that would have been disappointing not only for Canadian fans, but just the, this run that they've been on, we deserve a game five. And I mean, just looking back at the last time that a Stanley Cup champion has swept in the finals, you go back to 1998, which was the Red Wings versus the Capitals. That was brought up on the broadcast last night. But I'm just finding out now, 95, 96, 97, and 98 all ended in sweeps. Four right. straight years in a row. That's incredible. Like, I didn't That's even, a problem. I didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah. That's not a yeah, good maybe, thing. It's not a good things. thing, but uh, it, it's an incredible stat that I just found out my, myself. So, um, as for Game 5, like you said, we were talking off mic as well. The, the whole um, Hurricane... Ice or Elsa or whatever the hell you want to call it. Like it's kind of disrupting a lot of stuff down in Tampa. Uh, the mayor says the game's going to go on. It probably will. But if for some godforsaken reason we get to game seven back in Tampa, maybe it's even more of a, a worry for in that sort of a realm. Yeah. Like, well, I, I don't know. I don't <laughs> know if I can even think that far ahead. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I do think if we're making predictions that it's going to end in Tampa um, if the game is played from this hurricane. But, mm. um, yeah, I don't think it'll be too much of a big deal for Game 7. But, yeah, I, just, I don't think – I can't see this game coming back to Montreal. I think if it does coming back to Montreal, it's a completely different series. Um, I mean, I was messaging you guys after the game – Four. I was like, you know, this this is probably going to be the toughest game that they played. They got to go into Tampa. Um, they have some momentum coming in, but you know, they got to prove to themselves that they can beat Tampa in Tampa. Um, yeah, th this one's going to be a tough one. I don't even think they need to do that though, because there's literally no pressure on Montreal. There hasn't been at all this entire playoffs. It's like if they get out to an early lead, I mean, good luck Tampa, because you're going to start gripping it. You want to put it away as quick as possible, mm -hmm. obviously, and they, they were close in Game 4. And if Montreal somehow gets a hot start in Game 5, then then look out. Like, Tampa could be in a bit of issue here, um, even if Kalorn comes back. Um, like, Kalorn's a big piece, but again, yeah. at the same time, you look at what they have already, and it's, uh, it, it's plentiful <laughs> in what they have up front, but... Uh, yep. I have a hard time, and you mentioned it, Kobe, like like saying Carey Price hasn't looked good the first three games um, because the, the team just didn't look good. No, they all and looked uncomfortable. The, the problem was that they didn't look like they thought they could hang. And they were... It's been the biggest thing that you've seen this entire playoff run for, for the Habs is they looked like, at any given point, they believed in themselves. And it just didn't seem that way to start the series uh, for whatever reason. I don't know if it was just a moment or, or what it was. Maybe the fact that Philippe Deneau is your top-line center and now it's being exposed as a problem. I, I, I don't know what it is. But now that, you know, and if they get the day off because of this, the, the weather that's coming through Tampa, like another day off for Carey Price is only going to benefit the Habs. Like, mm -hmm. like Tampa wants... If Tampa had it their way, they'd be playing all these games back to back to back to back. Just yeah, run them. Just run <laughs> and just them. hope for the best, right? But but I don't think Carey Price. Like I, I still think he might win a Conn Smythe out of all this. I mean, like he he might become the MVP of the playoffs. It's it's almost hard to argue. Like his team doesn't get swept. He's carried this team to heights that 
based off of every single quote-unquote expert thought was impossible. Uh, I don't know that anyone on Tampa's elevated their game to a point, maybe outside of Kucherov, for not playing the regular season. Yeah, That's going to do more than than what Carey Price has done. But but yeah, the the day off potential for Game 5 is interesting to me because that could make a big difference if Carey gets another day. So you're saying, and they talked about this on 31 Thoughts the last couple episodes as well, you think that even in a losing cause, Mm -hmm. Price has a shot Mm -hmm. at the Smythe? I mean, this team was, what, like the last team to make the playoffs? Mm -hmm. They were 16 of 16. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, mean, just look at his numbers. Like, he's been playing, for the most part, sub two goals against, well over 920 save percentage. It's been crazy. To, to see what Carey Price has done, and I mean, all for one, except one game in this playoffs, when his team gets him three goals, it's jammed on. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> it's, it's wild that that's their target, right? Just score three times. If we score three <laughs> times, we're probably going to win. Yeah, really and, good record. Corey, and there's a lot of teams that can't say that. Corey, what do you think about that? What do you think about Price, win, lose, getting the con Smythe with his performance these playoffs? And especially here in the Stanley Cup Final, because, I mean, like you mentioned, the team hasn't looked great. And I still believe he hasn't looked up to his par. I think Vasilevsky has played equally, if not better, than than Price in these first four games. But Corey, what what do you think about that? I like the the sentiment behind it. Like I I think on the face value of it, we would need to get to a game seven to see something like that. Because like uh, the only time I can really think of it was Jay Shiger back in '03. Um, you would remember that one. Um, that one went to seven and very similar. Like all the points you bring up are very valid. Um, yeah, I would just say that it needs to be going to game seven to, to have the conversation just on face value. Um, yeah, just the thought of, you know, a game five or game six and then handing it to an, a, a losing team. I don't know. Um, but I mean like Kucherov, he's like the points are there for him. He, he's looked good. He almost deserved it last year. You could argue, um, so it could go to him, and then you know Vasilevsky. His numbers are better in the playoffs than they were in the regular season. I mean, it just doesn't show because this team is so dominant, right? Like it, it's tough to stand out when there's stars in, ahead of you just doing their job, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're making their job, uh, Vasi's job, look really easy. So um, I don't know. Like I think Elliot Freeman said um, on Game Four when he put in his ballot. Whenever the time was, he had either Vasilevsky or, or Kucherov on it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it'd be between one of those two, but I, I do like the thinking behind Price. I love I love a little bit of drama and a little bit of chaos. Um, if it do, does go to Game 7, I'm right there with you. Doesn't Andre Vasilevsky remind you of a Vesna winning Sergei Bobrovsky? When did Bobrovsky win the Vesna? When was that like Columbus, the year? right? Yeah. And the reason I say that is because for all the reasons that people point out about why Vasilevsky is so great, and I'm not, he's obviously really good. Like, like we're not going to come out here and say that he's not. No one's saying that. But my point is he'll face 30 shots a game. 20 of them are from the perimeter. Maybe three or four are up tight. He makes, like all he's ever had to really do is make two big saves. Two, not even big, two quality saves mm-hmm. a night. And you're and, talking Bobrovsky in the defensive structure that was yeah, and the structure in that, Vesna season. that the team would play in front of, right? And yeah. I, I think <clears throat> the way that... And that's why you see Varlamov and Sorokin look so good this year is because the same deal. Their structure yeah. is just so good. And that can sometimes play a hindrance on a guy like Vasilevsky because 
for for better or for worse, even when you if you reference back to the Vesna, a lot of times like like Vasilevsky's been up like four straight years and only won one of them. You could argue he should win more. Yep. Based off of numbers, but again, when when you realize that the team that plays in front of them plays so sound that they're really not getting a ton of great looks any given night. I mean, does that put Vasilevsky into a conversation? Because at some point you can't just look based off of numbers for for a Conn Smythe, for example, right? Sure. Like the numbers are great, but there has to be context to them yeah. sometimes. And yeah, it's the same reason you can't give an Islanders goalie the Vesna any time that, uh, what's his name, is the head coach there. Trots. Trots, yeah. Yeah, because there's something to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And And so I just don't know. Like I've always wondered... And we're kind of spiraling a little bit, but I think it's it's interesting nonetheless because I think a lot of people wonder where, like, where is Andre Vasilevsky in the ranking of goaltenders in the league, right? Because it's hard to know for sure because he's been insulated so damn well his entire career. Obviously, he's a great goaltender. We know that, but it's just like where does he rank? You know, like where does where does Andre Vasilevsky legitimately fit if you were to move him out of that spot? Yeah, give him a more average team in front of him we where does he that. slot we talk about that a lot and i mean i think i think an interesting scenario would be what if you switched him with uc soros in nashville mm-hmm. because uc be soros himself this year there i mean we talked about the trade deadline about nashville blowing this up and trading everybody right and um uc soros i mean he got vesna votes he could have easily if you were talking about the definition of the heart trophy the most valuable for your team he could easily be in that conversation as well. He had a fantastic season. Um, I wonder if if you made that switch between Vasilevsky and Soros, mm-hmm. how w- would would Vasilevsky be up to par with Soros and what he produced on a mediocre Nashville team this year? It's like a great. It's hypothetical. a fun hypothetical, right? Because because that's the only way that we can ever really seem to quantify how good a goaltender is. Because because there's so many elements that have to go into play beforehand before you're able to really figure out how good a goalie is. And very few get regarded like a guy like Carey Price, right? Who hasn't been in the NHL on a winning team very often, but yet we regard him as the best goalie in the world for however many years, and some still regard him as that to this day. And so it's just really interesting, like how do we get to that point, and does Vasilevsky ever get there if he remains in Tampa? I think seeing John Gibson in Anaheim over his career in the NHL could give you some kind of light or uh, guidance on that one just because um, I don't know he, he was in there when the Ducks were in their prime and they're making you know multiple round playoff runs and he was putting up 920s and then now he's with a terrible Anaheim Ducks team and he's putting up you know kind of the 900 so if you were to put Vasilevsky on a bad team I don't think the numbers are going to be there obviously but well, I we're think not saying a bad team though like that's the difference no, I know we're not yeah, saying a bad but, team I'm just taking it to the extreme, right? Because, yeah. like, I guess, like, you know, people still call John Gibson a top 10 goalie in the league. We've and discussed he's that. putting really. up a 903, yeah. right? Like, yeah. So, I it's don't know. It's just so like, funny yeah, how we come to those conclusions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, why do and, we come to them? You know what I mean? Like, how – and, and that's the age-old question. How do you really evaluate goaltenders? And I'm not sure if we discussed this on the podcast if this was a group chat, but it kind of goes back to your thought on Martin Brodeur with the Devils, mm-hmm. another defensive system, a structure that insulated, maybe insulated Brodeur to the point where he's considered one of the best of all time. You, Lance, don't perceive him 
as one of the all-time greats, partly because of that defensive structure. Yeah, like I, I just I never thought he was really like that great. He was just he was really he was he was obviously good. Again, like we're not saying these players aren't obviously very good. But with a guy like Brodeur, it was like because the the competition was always between him and Patrick Waugh for the longest time. You, yeah, right? and to me, it was just a no brainer that it was Patrick Waugh. Like mm-hmm. the Colorado then looks like the Colorado now. And imagine if the Colorado now had a guy like Patrick Waugh in that. Mm-hmm. He'd probably be looking at somebody different in the Stanley Cup final right now. And that's just the the interesting juxtaposition between, you know, Waugh and Brodeur. And you can argue with, with a lot of these different goaltenders now that, like, how much is it structure and how much is it just being a really good goaltender and how often do they have to go hand in hand? Obviously, they play some kind of part, but yeah, I don't know. Fascinating. That's yeah. a good a good side conversation about goaltenders. Mm-hmm. We, we do love our goalies. I mean, we we yeah. love having Matt Wong on the podcast. We like to talk goalies with him as well. So yeah, he'd um, be a good one to kick that around with, right? Oh, I, we talked to him about that. Like one goalie to win you a playoff game, and he, remember he joked about Jack Campbell. <laughs> right, <laughs> we gave him shit about that. <laughs> yeah, that was an but, awful pick. That was a bad pick. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we, we like, might no have offense, him on in the Jack summer. Campbell, but just not. Yeah. not there. We might have we might have Maddie on in the summertime. We'll talk uh, goaltenders as the uh, the years goes on. Uh, quick predictions for game. Five gentlemen, we'll start with Corey. Uh, do you like he's mentioned? Do you see this series getting out of Tampa, or is this wrapping up uh, tomorrow night? Yeah, I'm gonna say Tampa four-one win. I think Tampa scores first, and the tents get folded. I don't have a score. That's fine. Um, ah, oh, okay. But yeah, I Corey's just, putting himself on a limb. There. I don't know if. Yep. I don't think Montreal can can handle the matchups that. Tampa gets with last change at home. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they have enough depth to to compete with all four lines that they can roll out. So I, I, I really hope that we get a game six, but my my heart tells me that it might end in game five. I like that the Canadians had themselves a really really well played game two, and like you mentioned that that Coleman goal at the end of the second kind of kicked them, and they just. It's just a that's a terrible blow going to the locker room, like no doubt about it. Um, I hope that it doesn't happen as well, and I think they can replicate that effort. and And Price can be great. He needs to be great for another game and another game after that as we continue on. But uh, I do see the Canadians winning Game Five. Nice. And uh, I, I'm predicting we go back to the Bell Center for Game Six. I hope. So I hope well. so. Yeah. Because yeah, me too. That that 3,500 crowd. That they were listing, yeah, which wasn't thirty five hundred people. Yeah. That was rowdy, and the crowds of <laughs> outside of Bell Center and you know the Big O and whatnot. That was so much fun to right. see, so much fun. And to, to what see. Corey said, I think like if it gets to Game Six, look out. Yeah, like, then we got yeah. something going on. Like now, like they're gonna be they're gonna be rioting in the streets in Montreal. Like it's gonna be wild if they get to a Game Six. Yeah, and I I really don't think Tampa wants to go there. Because, yeah, as much as this team won a championship last season, they were also the team that got swept by the Blue Jackets the year before. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there's some some de- some demons on that side of it as well for mm-hmm. these guys. So That would be something. Yeah. That would be something. We'll see if next podcast we're talking about a uh, Stanley Cup champion uh, for either Tampa or Montreal. Uh, into some signings. The one big one that happened this week, Ryan Nugent Hopkins of the Edmonton Oilers signs an eight-year, $41 million deal to stay in oil country. Uh, Corey, your thoughts on the deal? Uh, from all accounts, Nugent Hopkins wanted to stay in Edmonton, 
and uh, kind of kind of a win-win, I think, on both sides. But what, what do you think about it? Yeah, shout out us getting in the ear of Ken Holland the night before, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Brecky was saying that. He's like, I talked to him. I said, get Nuge under six. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he was posting it to all of his socials. For the record, we saw Ken Holland at the Mez here in town. Oh, okay. Like a night, yeah. the night before the signing was announced. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. yeah. So um, so our friend thinks that he had everything to do with it happening. Shout out to Zach Zabrecki. Yeah. boy. Um, to answer your question, though, I do like the deal because it gets you under $6 million, um, oh, and, a, and a reasonable reasonable number for a second-line center slash wing for what Nugent Hopkins is um, in the prime of when you have McDavid and, and Dreisaitl. And I think that's all you're really going for. I will say the last three to four years of this are probably going to be hell. Um, maybe because like, you know, it's, it's, I think it's buyout proof. I was hearing people say like, I, I don't know all the numbers on that stuff, but they're saying, you know, it's not going to be easy to buy out um, when he gets into his thirties. But you know, for right now you need to go for it while you have McDavid and a dry sidle on contract. And if you jeopardize your later 2020s, but you get a cup with McDavid and Drysaddle, and you get guys on good contracts, and get a good team now. Like it, it's all worth it. So, um, you know, I think that's an all right number. He takes a pay cut from what he was getting before at six, and uh, I mean, you call it a day. Yeah, it's obviously. I mean, the the back couple of years are not going to be. You you would assume not going to be great. Um, you could argue right now he's even just a third line player. He's similar to a Michael Backlund who you could argue is is a third liner in a in a lot of teams um but he's going to have to play second line um big to get him under 6 like you said uh, just over 5 a year is massive for a team that needs to find money flexibility when they can so that's why you get looped into the 8 years um because if they're going to be generous enough to to give you the 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 total you have to give them the term uh yeah i i think it's it has to be good I mean, because because what else are you gonna do? I mean, <laughs> no, you can't you can't go into free agency and get that no. number on a half decent player. No, no. you can't. I mean, what? It, it shouldn't say you can't because the the cap's gonna be flat, uh-huh. and Lord knows yeah. how long it's gonna be flat for. That some players might get handcuffed into taking less. Now the tricky thing is those players you're probably only gonna be bringing in on one two year deals, maybe three at the most. Uh, you're not gonna have eight years. The the interesting thing is that this essentially is their window, right? Like they mm-hmm. they've basically established the Oilers have this eight years where they're going to try and make something happen within it. Obviously, they've been trying to before. Mm-hmm. I get that, but now they have like a, a a light at the end of the tunnel or a time in the future where if it's not working by then then they're onto something else. They're onto plan B, C, E, D, or whatever the hell else. Just nightmare city, though. <laughs> right. But be- because at the end of this deal, if it's if he's not a great player, you're probably not going to be able to move him. Right. Uh, and if you do, you're going to be retaining salary, which is whatever, I guess. But um, it's, like, it's not going to be a ton to, to have to retain, what, two and a half, two and three quarter million. Um, but yeah, it's just... Like, I, I obviously like the number. I, there's no arguing it. I just don't know... Like is that enough? Because they still have a lot of people that they need to deal with. Mm-hmm. Is is getting nuge on eight years 
the right idea. In the short term, it looks great. I just don't know if it makes a ton of sense in the long term. But I think they're running with the devil that they know, and right. and not spending that money on a potential free agent coming up this summer or whatnot. And like you said, it's a it's a definite sacrifice on both sides. Like Nugent Hopkins wanted to stay in Edmonton. And by all accounts, it was a very tough negotiation. This was a deal that they thought was signed away before the start of this past season. And then at the last moment, the deal got ripped up and something something happened. So they went back to the drawing board. Um, you're, like you mentioned, the team gave up the years in order to get the salary. And, and Nugent gave up his... He could have got more. Of course, he could have got more on the open market, but he really wanted to stay in Edmonton. So it's a deal that I think benefits both sides to a certain extent. And away they go, like you mentioned, Lance. This is their time. Mm-hmm. They got some holes in definitely in the defense core. They probably are losing Clefbaum. If you know the money's tight, you're not going to be keeping Clefbaum as he heads into free agency. Uh, the goaltender situation. You I mean you want to bring back Mike Smith? Sure, but what else you got behind him? Um, is Stuart Skinner ready to step into that role? I don't know. So there's still a lot of questions as we head into the off season here for the. Uh, for the Oilers, but with Clefbaum, like, is he ever good, even going to play again? Well, that's another thing too, for sure. Like, you don't even know if Clefbaum is going to play hockey again. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So Oof. that I mean, it, it's up in the air. Like, there's there's no word on whether or not he's actually going to come back. I, obviously, everyone's optimistic, and you want to see a guy like Clefbaum be back because that would drastically change what the Oilers have done. But um, that's a that's almost a, a bigger deal than than resigning Nuge, is the uncertainty surrounding Oscar Clefbaum. Right. Because like that that defense core is in shambles without him. Oh, and then next year you got to worry about signing Nurse, and what's that number that. gonna be? <laughs> oh boy. Well, I don't know. Like he took the bridge deal. Uh, that was last season. Is he UFA for next year then? He. I'm just trying to. Find, I should have gone to. Uh, because if he is, he's like, got to be good luck. Trying to look at Puckpedia, that would be the uh, the source that I'm looking for. Hey, as I quickly stall here, he's 26 now, so in a year, like, yeah, he, yeah, he might be getting into UFA territory. Yeah, and if he is, like, I, oh boy, that's an oof. Yeah, so he's making 5.6 right now. Year two of two contract UFA in 2022 at 27. Oh, no. So UFA. So what are you gonna do with that? Five and so a half years wi- for thirty years. Like, what are you doing? So their window is next year. Is Literally, what saying. I mean, they they do have help on the way. We should mention that. Like, Evan Bouchard is going to be yeah, coming up. That's he's going to be playing for sure, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that'll help a lot. And there are some other guys that are floating around their minor leagues that are, are going to have to eat bigger minutes. Yeah, James Hamlin. I don't <laughs> think he plays defense. He's um, ready. <laughs> he's but like, ready that's to play tough. Seventh D. Because whatever you sign this year, like you can't give a lot of guys term. You simply can't because unless you have a real firm idea of what you're going to pay Nurse, which typically those kinds of things go off of what the cap's going to do, and you have no fucking clue what the cap's going to be, hap- like what's going to be happening with that yeah. next offseason. Oh, boy. Have you heard some of the rumors of what a guy like Kel McCarr and Heiskanen and uh, there's another one in that kind of that draft class? Hughes? Like what they're going to get made? Uh, get paid, rather? Yes. I mean, I can tell you Makar's probably not going to get paid a ton. You think he's going to go bridge on that? Just look at the team. They yeah, can't. I, I think he would. Yeah. But what does the player like, give me want? A couple years of doesn't really cup. matter, though, what the player wants. Because, because he's still he, under RFA? Well, it's not even that, though. But I'm, I'm just saying, look at how much they're paying their top guys. Sure. 
Like that okay. sets the tone, right? That's yeah. why you. Yeah. That's why we always reference what Boston does with their team and why mm-hmm. they're always so competitive mm-hmm. because they set that top player maximum with whatever Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marshawn are getting paid. Yeah. Same deal in Colorado. Okay. All right. Like, and I think Makar is going to understand that. Oh, I don't know. Like a lot of rumors about there. I just how do you pay Makar more than how do you pay him more than anyone else on that team? I I get it. You can't. It totally makes sense. Can't do it. But yeah, uh, very fascinating what these uh, young defensemen get across the league because or unless you sign him for eighteen years, I don't know. <laughs> Spread it out that way, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, like we might get into like Bobby Bonilla contracts. But that's against the CBA. You Chris Davis contracts. But like that's what the, you know what I mean. The Kovalchuk like, contract is dead. You know what I'm saying though. Like the extreme. Like as long as you can, which is eight. with everybody. Everybody's going to be getting them. Yeah, just to but that's what out. I'm saying. Okay. Well, I I think I was hearing on the Steve Dangle podcast that of the there's been 57 slash eight year contracts given out since that CBA was put in place, mm-hmm. and Nugent Hopkins is the 49th cheapest so far. And I think now it's fifty-one because Erickson Eck just signed a fifth or uh, an eight-year. Eight year. He might be he cheaper, got an but eight too. Interesting. The next youngest was Eck. Michael Matheson. But he's got years ahead of him, whereas Nuge is way further along. Yeah, I know, but that, yeah. that, that's, but a, that's a way better deal for Erickson Eck, though. But you, you, you're. I'm just saying, like Joel Erickson Eck got an eight-year deal. But I can understand that. I, I, that's fourth not a like situation, voting. though. Yeah, fourth and Selkie voting. Good lord, like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, what, Colby, what I'm trying to say to you is yeah. he's Joel Erickson Eck. Sure. And he just got an eight year deal. Yeah. For a young, up and coming, right. two way center. Right. Yeah. You yeah. don't like Erickson Eck? No, I Eck? think we're going to see a lot of eight year deals. I think Lance is correct. And yeah. we're going to see a lot of no trade contracts. And uh-huh. I think we're going to see a lot of signing bonus up front so you uh-huh. can invest it. It's going to be uh, weird. I'm saying the fact yeah. that a guy like Joel Erickson Eck gets an eight-year deal tells you that everyone's going to get one. See, and that's the thing right. is like a lot of folks are saying that because of this flat cap, this uncertain situation, that you might not see a lot. Of, but then now you're saying this is two in the last week yeah. that we've seen. So we haven't even hit free agency yet. Because you know, at the at the very least, it's going to eventually go up at some point. Like mm-hmm. it's been proven to happen, right? That eventually the cap somewhere down the line will move up. About five, six years. Yeah, right? Like it very well could be. Who Towards knows? the back end of these deals. And so it's like, if you want a player, like just give them the eight and it won't hurt you really because you can kind of extrapolate, okay, so this is going to be his pay for the next eight years. Like yeah. you can show that to another team. They can look at it and be like, okay, this is kind of what we're planning with. If the cap stays the same for X amount of years, this is what we have to deal with. But I'm just saying, like, like it's going to be crazy. You're going to see it all over the place. I like yep. the the only person I could think of. I mean, maybe this is early, but like Dougie Hamilton, this free agency is he's going to get eight. Probably we can only unless he does a sign and trade, right? But yeah, like, yeah. You, like you can only give eight to your own, like the team that you're on. True. If you go to free agency at seven, but so Carolina is not going to be getting him at trade. eight. Yeah, heard some sign and trade rumors, but. I, yeah, how old is Dougie? He's getting up. What is he, 28 now-ish? He'd yeah, be around there, yep. I'd say so. Okay. Like, ooh, eight. Like, that takes you to 36. And, like, yeah, I don't know. Dougie's not the fastest guy, is he? Just turned 28. No, not not the fastest, but not the slowest either. No. Okay. I mean, I don't know. He's probably very comparable yeah. in speed to Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Joel Erickson Eck. And <laughs> yeah. here we are. What do you guys think of that Arvidsson trade as well to the Kings for a second and a third while we're talking mm. some news and notes? What do, you, what do you guys think about that? I think the Kings are looking for some scoring and they're taking a chance on a guy 
who's been also uh, injury prone the last couple of years. So, um, but and for the Predators, they're getting off a guy who is injury prone, like I mentioned, and getting a couple assets out of that. But uh, Corey, what do you think about the Arvidsson deal? Uh, like it for the Kings. I've heard uh, people say that Nashville did it for expansion or like uh, expansion draft reasons to get to that seven. But I don't know how you do that when you have like I don't think you protect Duchesne and Johansson at those numbers. Like I don't think you worry about those guys. If the Kings take an eight million dollar deal, like I don't care how good they are, like that's you get that off your books. Um, but I don't know. Like I, I guess a second and a third for yeah a guy that's injury prone and Nashville. I mean you know this isn't the team. Like they're they're not gonna group this team together and go on a cup run anytime soon. So if you can get some assets for the future, I mean, it's not too big of a deal, but yeah. He's got like William Carlson, Jonathan Marcheseau vibes though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like Arvidsson could very easily go to Vegas or to LA and score 40. And you're yeah. just like, oh, okay. But right. Didn't he score 30 like a few years ago? He's a yeah. 30 goal scorer, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he, he's a really good player. So to only have to yeah. move a second and a third if you're LA, that's uh, probably the easiest trade they've ever had to make. And the Kings, yeah. like with the, a lot of the young talent up and coming, some of them have already made the big league roster. Like this is an off season where you better look out for the Kings. The Ducks are coming with a lot of their young guys. I'm not sure if they're going to be bigger into the free agent market as LA is, but this West division is going to be opening up and it's going to be very fascinating to see what a team like the Kings will do because I think they believe that this retool rebuild is going to be over and they're going to be going like ahead. Like Cal Peterson or whoever the hell he is in that there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they clearly yeah. like him. Yeah, because Quick might, I mean, Quick could easily be one of the uh, the choices to go to Seattle for sure. Mm, yeah. If take his yep. deal and be an experienced starter slash backup, whatever you want to mm-hmm. do. And just a quick side note, this uh, expansion draft coming up in a couple weeks, fascinating. Like, yeah. I cannot, yeah. I, I love the rumors. I love which team's going to put which player up. Like, is Giordano going to be available as a Calgary Flames fan? Right. The rumor is they could Seattle could pick up Geo and then ship him to Edmonton, and they fl- the Cal the Oof. captain of the Calgary Flames could be playing for the Oilers next season. That'd be really funny. Holy shit! Like, and then Oof. Duncan Keith. We didn't talk about Duncan Keith and the Oilers. That's a rumor that's out there right now. Mm-hmm. He wants oh, yeah. to go to Western Canada. So that deal's been percolating for about a week now. Mm-hmm. What do you do with that? Basically, Chicago doesn't want to give, doesn't want to retain much of that salary of Keith in order to make that happen. But that's the only way the Oilers are going to get him is on a reduced cap number, right? It's the only way a lot of teams are, I think, right? Yeah, for I sure. I haven't looked at what everyone's dealing with, and it's going to be all kind of fucked up right now because so much money's off the books and moving around. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, I saw yeah. that it was, what, Pacific Northwest and Western Canada that yep. Duncan Keith wanted to go to? Mm-hmm. Minus the Canucks? Well, sorry, uh, <laughs> Chicago didn't even call the Canucks. They didn't, hey? <laughs> No, they called Edmonton and Calgary and Seattle. That's uh, like fuck you, Vancouver. Yeah, so <laughs> we'll give you Duncan Keith. You give us Hoglander. Okay, bye. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Like ah, like a Tyler Myers though. Like I don't know. In my mind, that almost makes sense. Chicago. Like you're not you're not ready to go for it really quite yet. Um, I don't Myers, know what they are. They're, like yeah. Like what are they? Well, Taves is coming back. Mm-hmm. I think. And like Doc's gonna be better. And I, I think they they lack some depth. But like. If your top six is a combination of Taves, Kane, Doc, Debrinkat, Strom, and Alex Nylander, like is that not a contender over the you next few years? You haven't even mentioned Dominic Kubelik. Got a oh. Kubi. 
yeah, and they're supposed right. to be big players. And Brandon Hagel. <laughs> if, right. Yeah. If, if Hamilton, Hagel. if Dougie makes it to free agency, apparently Chicago is one of the teams that's supposed to be in for for Dougie. They want or I a Seth that. Jones typer, some sort of a big, strong defenseman to anchor that core going in the future. Because that so. line seems legitimate. Yeah. I mean, he kind of did Enough, it for yeah. for a fair portion of the season. Yeah. Like, like what? What's gonna go on there? That's that's a weird one. Yeah. And the fact and that Duncan Keith's like, I want to leave. Uh, Sorry? I don't know if they have Malcolm Subban. I don't know. Subban, he's becoming a journeyman, isn't he? The tender age he of like is, 26. He like, puts up all right stats. Well, I guess, sorry, no, the past couple of years haven't been good. But no. his, his years, his first year in Vegas was good. Oh, he's just bad. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at his stats like a couple of years ago. I'm like, oh my God, he's got like a 9-10 in Vegas. And he was in Vegas, that, yeah. He was doing good in Boston. Like, <laughs> he was doing good in Providence. <laughs> that's why they shipped him out, though, guys. Yeah. Killing it in Providence, eh? Yeah. That's where uh, our boy Jordan Bennington was, though. He was a Providence alumni, mm-hmm. and then he's going to win the Stanley Cup. I didn't know he was our boy. No, oh, I mean, we talked about him. He's our boy. Before. Oh. Swinging he sticks and loan. throwing punches. All right. Yeah. All right. Our kind of goaltend. Bringing right. it all back to goalies. Um, are, we, are we done on Shell? Like, I'm. Well, you want to mention the uh, the passing of the goaltender as well, since we're on the goaltender train. Sure, Un- yeah. Unfortunately, that, I, uh, the Columbus product Matisse Kavlenix, uh passed away there just after the Fourth of July due to a fireworks accident. Uh, there's been some new reports out today. I actually haven't had a chance to listen to it, but apparently the nine one one call has been uh, out in the public. So mm. that's uh, I'm sure very difficult to listen to. Uh, the whole situation is. Incredibly tough. A guy is 24 years old. He's got a couple games uh, up with Columbus this past season. And uh, I, I, I feel like Columbus has become a little bit of a, a goalie factory. And this kid was supposed to be another one of these really good prospects alongside um, Elvis and alongside Corpusalo. And they had Bobrovsky for a time. And it's just really, really unfortunate. Um, a, a guy and a player of this young in his life um, having to pass away under tragic circumstances. Yep. Yeah. So. There's not much to say. Like, yeah, you, you hit it on the head. Like he, he, he was, uh, the, you know, he was going to probably take one of the blue jackets goalie roles this year and they're going to move one of their guys out. And, um, I don't know. It just seemed like everybody in the blues blue jacket organization. And then like even guys that aren't in the organization anymore that just got to spend like a season with them were coming out on Twitter and talking about how nice of a guy he was. And, um, you know, it's just it's just tough to see that life was taken away at such a young age. But you know, I mean, and especially how how great of a guy he was too. It's just that's it. That sucks. Yeah, that's what we've seen throughout social media in the days um, after the accident. So um, all of our thoughts are with the family of Matisse Kavlenix and uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets organization because that's a tough one to swallow as well. So uh, no easy transition, of course, off of something nope. like that. But uh, Corey's got some import draft news out of the WHL, Corey. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't think of much dub stuff to talk about, but that's, I mean, this is the news of the week. Um, Lance, you want to you start it off with the Tigers pick? <laughs> Gleb Ivanov? Gleb Ivanov. Gleb. So Gleb? Is, that, is that the Gleb that started the Gleb? That is the Gleb. He uh, he was from the U17s when they were here in Medicine yep. Hat. Uh, <laughs> no bullshit, pretty decent player. Yeah, uh, solid. Yeah, yeah. He, he's I mean, 
pretty low-key, like most Russian defensemen seem to be. Like, mm-hmm. kind of just go about your business and that's that. Uh, mm-hmm. And he kind of fits that to a T, but um, he, he fills a need for the Tigers, for sure. Is feel something that that they could use, bring in some more competition uh, for for some of those younger guys that got some WHL experience this year, and uh, sh- should slot in. I assume he's choosing to come over um, come this season, and if that's the case, then then he'll slot in really well. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know. You never know with like the Russians, and I guess that's nothing against them, but like I think the Russians, the the CHL sometimes has a tough time getting the Russians over I've heard mm-hmm. just because they have such a great junior program over there that like can almost be matched to what's kind of happening over here. Um, but I mean, if you're the Tigers and you got nobody coming back, you, I don't think you go risk on the first pick. I think you get a guy that you know is going to come over. So hopefully we get to see him in a Tigers Jersey and this decors, you know, Clayton's gone and uh, you know, we'll see if Van Imp or, or Baker's going to be coming back. Or both, but uh, yeah, it's definitely something that we can um, we can use uh, a defender. So, uh, and it's an 03, so get another guy in Cylinders year and uh, really really complement that that young group of of mm-hmm. 03s and 04s that are going to be going ahead. So, nice pick there. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Did you right, have more, butter? <laughs> yeah, sorry. We could keep going. I can just just some uh, some some quick hit notes. Um, the Regina Pats went for, it seems like they swung for offenses, defensives. They got uh, Joachim Kemmel, who's like seems kind of like a stud Finnish player. Um, but like if you're any prospect in the 03-04 range, or even 05, like you got to see Regina as a pretty good destination right now, Yeah, yeah. I'd say. It'd be hard to find uh, a reason not to go to Regina, to be completely honest. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, they got Bedard. Yeah, sure, I'll go play. All right, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, and uh, who else? The Hitman. Oh, yeah. The uh, the Flames was a first-rounder, Jan Kuznetsov. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to the St. John's Sea Dogs. Uh, and then the Hitman were like 10 picks after that. I was thinking that that would probably be, he was probably on the top of their list. Yeah, he would have been close, I would imagine, uh, to kind of get him acclimated because I, I think the Flames are, I mean, they're obviously high on him because they drafted him. But mm-hmm. but by all accounts, it sounds like they they really like what Kuznetsov does. So uh, it, w- it would have been really nice if you could somehow trade between leagues uh, <laughs> to try try and get him out of St. John and get him to Calgary. I'm sure they would. But uh, but just having the, the some North American experience for a year and uh, by all accounts, these players seem to have a, a pretty good time on the East Coast. Uh, it's a, it's a nice transition for a lot of them. So mm-hmm. so anywhere out there's, I, I would imagine that would be kind of a, a dream spot to play because it's like, it, it's got like junior A feel with you know major junior talent. Yeah, good way to put it. Mm. Yep. Um, Camelos Blazers drafted a six five two fourteen Russian. Fair, fair. That's <laughs> Draw a lot of beef right there. Can't skate, but good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need Seems to. Good. No, <laughs> that's another glab. Um, well, <laughs> and then, so, and then, like last thing on the the uh, the import list, the Seattle 
Thunderbirds go way off the board and draft an Italian and a a Dutchman, but I think he's from like Great Britain, but he's played all over the map. But right. anyway, there's only been one Italian drafted since 2000, other than him, and one Dutchman drafted other than that guy. So, and they signed them both today. So, mm. interesting news there. Just like, is that because of where they were picking, and they were like. Like, we know that all these typical hotbeds are going to be scoured, so let's go to just the weird places that hockey kind of doesn't really exist <laughs> and see if we can find someone or what? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think the the Italian is, like, playing in the uh, the Swiss League, I think. Okay. Or something, so. And like, like, and that's no offense to these kids. Like, I'm sure they're great, but mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah. like, that. that's basically like, like someone, co- like, coming to Canada to – for the longest time, draft a basketball player. Yeah. It was like, it just wasn't happening. No. Right? Um, so that's very similar. Like, unless Italy's going to start making a run in, in international hockey, that's a little out there. Same with the Dutch. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Corey's on one right now. <laughs> <laughs> Corey's on about no, a seven li- second delay. <laughs> no, no I don't. I think he's just enjoying himself. He's just lagging? Yeah. Okay. But, um, all right, that's great stuff, Corey. I appreciate that. Thanks, Corey. <laughs> yeah, and then the first media availability was today for the top prospects. How was that? Was I'm that great? To, well, I'm trying to find out if Buffalo interviewed anybody than Owen Power, but I can't. Uh, oh, okay. But, for well, the NHL yeah. draft you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, I thought we were talking, okay, so this is not WHL related. Well, it's kind no, of no, no. related. Yeah, yeah. So, so Gunther was part of the call today, mm. and he said that he would really like to go to Columbus. And I'm like, Ooh. why? He said that. Well, I, don't, he, I think no. I think Col- somebody asked him about Columbus, and he's like, yeah, you know, I think he just gave the candid answer, and I was oh. like, oh. <laughs> so like, like for example, if someone would have told him that he was going to get drafted by the East Coast Hockey League, like, he said, I love the I East love Coast it. League. It's my favorite league to play in. Like, is, is yeah. that where he was going? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Like, just just given the candid answer, but because there's no um, shot anyone I, seems to love to go to Columbus. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know, but he's I don't a top even five pick picking. as well, and Columbus is picking five, so that kind of makes yeah. sense. That's why they're probably asking, of course. Yeah. So all, yeah. Anyway, the only big note from there is that all I've heard is that Buffalo has interviewed Owen Power. Um, haven't found if they've interviewed any other of the top prospects, but. Um, also, Owen Powers said, I guess today in like a TSN interview, he's like, "Yeah, I might just go back to school." Like, oh, for seriously? Year. Hey, I'm like, ooh, yeah. So we'll see where that goes. Anyway, that's enough for. for but weird. he's allowed to go back to school even if the Sabers draft him. No, it's not like one of those things where maybe in, I think it's in baseball where if you get drafted, you go back to school, you lose your like the you lose the draft rights or whatever. Like, is that has that happened in, in hockey at all? No, they still. Do you know Lance? Like, um, no, because it's stupid. For who the hell would be the the first overall pick and be like, I'm going back to school for college hockey? Right. The NHL can hold. I I think it's North American players' rights for two years, and then uh, Europeans for three. Okay. So theoretically, like this would be a bush league move, but like Owen Power could just go to Michigan for another two years and just wait till he becomes a, a free oh. agent. Oh, wow. But I don't think, I don't know, because oh, Adam Fox almost did that, didn't he? Yeah. That's so why they had to trade him by the Flames, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. That's, now he's um, a Norris, anyway. Norris Trophy winning defenseman. Yeah, so I guess anybody can do it. Man. 
what could have been for Adam Fox. The difference the is that Adam Fox wasn't the first overall pick. True, true. He's a second rounder. Like, what are we doing? First overall pick. Yeah, you can too. be first overall. I, actually, I'm going to go back to Michigan. Yeah, okay, bud. Okay. <laughs> go Wolverines. Like, you're not that guy, pal. <laughs> he probably won't, though. Let's be honest here. There'll be power and I don't and know if it's out there. There must be a reason for it. Power and Darlene for years to come. You're right. Yep. Darlene's having a great time. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's that's. I, that's he's got to be him. just down horrendous. And it's only going to get worse if you're a Sabres fan. Oh, uh, you never know. How, how the is, Islanders traded Tavares or lost Tavares, true. and that worked out. They made it to this Final Four in the last couple the of years. The difference is they were a lot closer, but yeah. let's not talk about that. All right. Um, let's switch over to the NBA side of things. As we speak, the NBA Finals are underway, gentlemen. It is Suns. It is Bucks. Game one tipped off uh, tonight. As we speak, it is uh, 35-34 nice. at the start of the second quarter. Uh, for the Suns. The Suns are leading. So uh, the big question heading into this finals matchup was will Giannis Antetokounmpo play? Because he hyperextended his knee mm-hmm. pretty and? badly. And? Is he? He is playing tonight. Nice. Okay. He is active. Uh, and as we speak, he's got 8.7 rebounds, 3 assists. So he's playing pretty damn well. Man, um, this series sucks though, hey? What's that, sorry? This series sucks. For what? For ratings? Yeah. <laughs> because it's not the glitz and the glam of the big big markets. Because, like, no one outside of Phoenix, Milwaukee, and hardcore NBA fans care. Yeah, sure. I, I can see that. But there's there's still some storylines. Like, they're really it. Like, there's a 36-year-old Chris Paul looking for his first title. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm with you. They're, but, like, the average basketball fan does not care, unfortunately. Sure. And that's what's tough, right? In a league that markets their stars so well. Well, you're not going to get LeBron in every single final, though. So, I don't know. You almost didn't know that for a while. <laughs> oh, you didn't. No, you're right. It's very true. Um, I Yeah, sure. If you're looking for the casual fan, I agree. It's probably not the best matchup. But, I mean, what, if the Clippers were in there, if the Hawks were in there, like, none of these really final four matchups would have maybe the Clippers, I guess, with the big the big LA brand and, and the stars. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Kawhi wasn't playing. Right. So, I don't know if there really was a win-win situation for the NBA in this scenario. But you got a lot of young talent. You got Devin Booker in his first finals. Like I mentioned, you got Chris Paul um, looking for his first title. Giannis trying to not be a choker and get, you know, past this finals matchup and, and win one after mm-hmm. being a two-time MVP in the league. A lot of good matchups. And like I mentioned, Giannis playing is a big, obviously the biggest plus for the box in order to keep up with the Suns because heading into game one, the Suns were the favorite and they're probably the favorite in this series. But having a, what, even 75, 80% Giannis is definitely better than nothing. And it gives the box a really, really good chance uh, of taking this. Yeah, now they're probably not the favorites when Giannis is playing. Probably if Giannis not. is out, then they are for sure. Mm-hmm. The Suns are. Um, it's funny we were talking like they had to, the the Bucks that is had to get to this point. We were saying that before they we had did. to get to here in order to take this team to the next level. That's been stuck in the same spot for so long. Um, here they are. Now is the opportunity um, for for just purely story. I think there's going to be a lot of Sun supporters out of the average basketball fan. Uh, and those who are watching this year's NBA Finals because they want to see Chris Paul get that title. Um, so hopefully, like I, I'm in there too. I hope Phoenix is able to get it done. But at the same time, I like to see great players, like really great win. Uh, mm-hmm. So that it would also be good for Giannis. So 
I, I just think that Chris Paul's had to wait a long time. You know, he's had yeah. to, he's had to wait forever, and he's had so many opportunities, and people counted him out a couple times, and uh, and he's out there now. But yeah, it's just it's hard. I, I'm sorry, it's hard to get hyped for this one. This is this is not a good run of finals or final. Yeah. For uh, for sports <laughs> like Tampa, Montreal, Suns and Bucks. Like I can't Boy. wait for the for this year's Super Bowl to be the fucking Colts and the Chargers or oh, something ridiculous like go. that. The Brewers and the White Sox. So I can <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. Like that, that's actually a perfect example. Though. It'd be yeah. like, like White Sox Braves, not even Braves because the Braves have like Acuna. Like White Sox. I don't want to say Brewers because so that's not realistic. Cardinals, maybe. Cardinals. That would be like just the top off the cal- the sports calendar year <laughs> of of title matchups. Yeah. Because we're two for four that aren't great. Not the greatest. No, unfortunately. So so I saw somewhere online that like, you know, NBA fans complained when LeBron versus Curry all those years that like there was no diversity and now that there's diversity in the league we're still complaining like what yeah, they is want the diversity from final? the other stars that's what? what they 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 want diversity from the other stars right it's like get some of the other like we want to see the other top players in there okay but now we just have like one right kind of we're like some so well, you have Giannis and then mediocre. Devin Booker on the come up right yeah Devin right. Booker's probably going to be heralded as a top 3 player in the league after the series of the Suns win. He's already the next Kobe Bryant. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> like, that's where we're at. Um, but, I mean, and like you said, Chris Paul is still a star. Like, they... Yeah. They're, they're, and Chris Middleton, although inconsistent, he, I mean, he was great in that Hawk series when Giannis went out. He was averaging almost 29 points a game uh, in leading them to those final two victories that they needed. So, uh, there's definitely some... I, I don't... I, I'm biased, and I think everyone knows that because mm-hmm. I am a basketball fan, so I am jacked for most most series. Like, yeah. I would be I was would have been thrilled if this was Suns Hawks. I think that would have been my ideal matchup to see. That almost Booker. would have been cooler. That would have been sure with the young Trey Young and the young Hawks yeah. and a young Booker and like all these young talents. Would have done worse in ratings. I think it would have done way worse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because people want to see a Giannis or a LeBron or a Curry or a, a bona fide star. Yeah. So um, it helps ratings wise to have Giannis back because imagine in this series without Giannis at all, mm-hmm. even worse. I think I will say these years are important to to build the next wave of stars, right? Yeah, like like Devin Booker gets his run now. Um, people get really exposed to Giannis, but like you said, Trey Young could have been in that spot. That would have been huge for for that area of basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, even things like if Luca could have got to a second round, mm-hmm. that would have been big. Um, so you, you kind of need these years as much as I say that it's not overly interesting to the average basketball fan. You do kind of need them because it helps cultivate the next set of stars, but now it's up to those stars to put something on the highlight reel yep. in the seven-game series, right? There's a lot of good young talent in the, in this NBA. That mm-hmm. That's the one thing where, I mean, LeBron's going to go away whenever he goes away. Curry will go away, and... This league will still be fine. It'll be run yeah. by Giannis. It'll be run by Zion. It'll be run by a lot of guys. Yeah. Luca, Trey Young, Devin Booker. So there's a lot of good talent. In this series specifically, I mean, Chris Paul, we talked about him looking for his first title in a long, long time. He was incredible in that closeout game in game six against the Clippers. 41 points um, after shooting the ball terribly for the other five games. He was downright brutal, like less than 30% shooting. So mm-hmm. uh, he came back, had a great game six. And now the matchup they're talking about is going to be Paul and Booker, which that's the bread and butter of the Suns' backcourt against Drew Holiday 
and a guy like P.J. Tucker, who's that's all he does is play defense. Right. And really, Drew Holiday is the and same Drew Holiday is a fantastic defender. So yeah. this is two, you know, great offensive guys. You know, maestros with the ball, at least in Chris Paul's case, going up against a very tough defensive matchup. That's a fascinating matchup all around. Yeah, it'll depend if DeAndre Ayton can get free. I think because if if they all of a sudden have to, you know, keep an eye inside. It's like anything. It's started opening up opportunities back on the perimeter again. Then you can get ball movement. But that's what I think the key it really is going to be. Because I think it's just a saw-off between Paul and Booker and probably P.J. Tucker and, and Drew Holiday. Mm-hmm. I think that just becomes a bit of a chop. And then you're looking, okay, where's that difference maker going to be? And it's probably DeAndre Ayton. Because, like, who's going to guard him? Like, Brooke, yeah, Brooke Lopez. Lopez like he's a he's I, a task right now. He's Giannis, gonna have to try to right. Giannis gonna have to come over and play help defense. And like we've seen it, like DeAndre Ayton probably in this series probably the most slept on, considering he's what been he can do. Fantastic right? all playoffs long. He's yeah. been arguably, if he's not one, he's like their second most important player because yep. there's off nights for the two guards. He's been automatic shooting almost seventy percent like all playoffs long. He's exactly. been fantastic. So. Yeah, so that that's gonna be what I try and point out and, and look for is if if Brooke Lopez can keep Aiton in check but if Aiton starts getting a bit of a run then you're going to see things open up a little bit because they're going to have to start sending you know different schemes and more doubles even or or, or cheating a second guy to, to guard DeAndre Aiton so and the we'll pick, see. The pick and roll between Paul and Aiton like you mentioned like that's another way where Aiton can just mm-hmm. run wild because or or the way that the Bucks play defense, they play a lot of sag defense. So their big guy, as they come up for the pick, he sags back, yeah. which leaves Chris Paul probably, I mean, one of the best mid-range shooters you could think of. Mm-hmm. Leave them money. Like, he should be making those money shots right there at the free throw line. Interesting to think that, like, for the longest time, for, for so long, mid-range shots were just a no-go. But no, like it was this series, three or in the paint. And this series might hinge on those mid-range shots. Both guys, Paul and Booker, make their money at the mid-range. Right. They're not great three-point shooters. It's just, that's so interesting it when is. you look at how, I mean, it was only just a couple years ago when it was, I mean, everyone on Golden State shooting threes are getting in the paint, and now the Rockets mid-range have come back, right? Yeah. It's interesting. 100%. Um, my other key point, I mean, who guards Giannis now that he's back? Like, I worry about that, too, yeah. because do you put a, a big guy like Aiton on him? Do you put a, a smaller Jay Crowder? Like, I don't know. I mean, you can't go smaller, right? You go smaller, you're getting just, uh, like, outworked. You go big, though, and Giannis is going to be driving the paint. Probably. He's probably going to drive past you a bunch. He's gonna be, that's just, all he's going to want to do. I assume you're just going to have to constantly double. And make a and, wall. Make and just wall. hope for the best, right? Yeah, let him crash in. Or you it. just let him get us. Like, you, you, you give him just one guy, and you say, hey, do your best. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm, that's what the Rockets did with Harden for the longest time, right? Let him shoot. Let him get his and worry about everyone else. Like, stop everybody else from scoring. Let Giannis, if he puts up 45 a night and they and the Bucks lose, then, the Suns are going to be happy about it, right? That's it. So. That's it. And Middleton, I mean, you put, like you said, you could put a Jay Crowder on Middleton. He's a little bit smaller, mm-hmm. but yeah, you got to shut down Middleton if that's the case. Like, you got to shut down everybody else around him. Yeah, if you're going to go that way, you have to take yeah. out absolutely everybody else. A little diamond in one action mm-hmm. uh, against Giannis. Uh, here's a quick question for you. Who's the more reliable scorer in this series? Will it be Devin Booker or will it be Chris Middleton? Because both have been known in these playoffs to go for unbelievable highs, mm-hmm. uh, but to really not be that consistent as well. It's probably Devin Booker, right? 
Like, like yeah. if I had to pick a guy to give the ball to, I'm giving it to Devin Booker over Chris Middleton. Right. Just because I think there's more trust in Booker with the Suns than there is with Middleton in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think you just look at how the teams are built and how you've seen the, the two teams develop over the years. And it's no fault of Chris Middleton that Giannis is there, and obviously he's the focal point. But I, I just, if I had to give the, the ball to one or the other, and who do I think is going to be showing up more often than not, it's probably going to be Devin Booker. The question will be, like we just mentioned, how is that going to show on the score sheet? Because the score sheet might tell a different story based off of the defensive plans that the Suns have for Giannis. 100%. And I think, I mean, we've we've known this for several years now in the playoffs, fourth quarter time, you can't trust Giannis. Like, he's right. going to get you there for three quarters. He'll get you that 30-point, 10-rebound game. But when it gets down to it, he doesn't have a jump shot. You even saw that game seven overtime against Brooklyn, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't do much no. in the fourth. He didn't, I don't even think he if he put up any points in overtime. There was like one bucket in overtime. Yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah. So I mean, that overtime was horrendous, but still. So I I think in that situation, I mean, that's where Middleton has to shine. He basically Mm -hmm. needs to be okay for three quarters, but he's got to have enough in the fourth to get them, because he's the one guy on the perimeter that can get his own shot. Drew Holiday, God bless him, not that guy. He can't create his own shot. So but they're, he, yeah, they're going to need some points out of him too, right? In the fourth quarter, you need you need both Steven of them. Chenzo if he's playing. No, he's out for this. I think he's out, right? Yeah, for yeah. the for the whole series. Maybe PJ Tucker from the corner. Yeah. He can get a corner three or two. That'll be more than happy for the for the Bucks. So um, we'll get to predictions now, and I guess your Finals MVP if we are going to go that route. So uh, Lance, where do you go for this one? Mm. Tough one. I just think we've and, and it all hinges on Giannis's health. Like how how healthy is he, right? Yep. Um, my heart wants the Suns to win, but I just think in a league that's so driven by its stars, I think that's why Giannis and the Bucks would win if Giannis stays healthy throughout the series. Yep. So assuming that, I would say the Bucks in six, and and your Finals MVP is going to have to be Giannis. Okay. I think he's going to have to be. Yeah. Yeah, and if it's not, then if it's not, then they probably lost. Right. Probably. He needs to be that guy. Mm-hmm. He needs to be the all-star, the MVP. Uh, I will go with my heart and my head. I want the Suns to win. I think nice. they can win. I do think yep. that uh, Giannis or not, I think they're going to have a, a defensive plan for him. Giannis is not 100%. There's no way in hell he's 100%. Mm-hmm. So that's got to be put into play. If they're going to run, like just run. Literally grab that rebound and run because... The more pressure you can put on Giannis and that defense, the less you got to set up in the half court, all that good stuff. So I will go Suns. I will go Suns in seven. I don't think they close it out in five, uh, but I will go Suns in seven. And I will go Chris Paul for MVP. That'd be I cool. think the same sort of thing. He's got to be. He's got to be great. I, I think Devin Booker could easily get it too, but it would be super cool if Paul got the MVP. And yeah. his first title. Yeah, so that's cool. the better storyline in my opinion. So For sure. Uh, Corey, I know you haven't been on the, the chat much, but do you want to pipe in on, on your picks? I know you shot 13 yeah. threes before. True. I know a good thing about shooting threes. You do. Yeah. So. Um, I would like to see the Suns win. Uh, I would like to see Chris Paul get his championship, but I'm going to go with Lance, and I don't think that's going to happen because nothing ever happens the way I want it to happen. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you good, bro? I'll go the Bucks. <laughs> Yo, that, that's, that's a different podcast. Were you listening to Creed or something? Like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
I was just vibing while you guys were talking to basketball. Fair. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll go Bucks in seven, and just to be different, I'll throw Jeff Teague the MVP because why? Nice. Yeah, great pick. Is he, <laughs> I don't think he's on the team. Is he I don't even team? know. Oh, he is too. Hell yeah. He's the MVP. How could you forget? Nice. Oh, no, I got to go Giannis too. Yeah. (laughs) Just to be different, go Jeff Teague. Um, It was funny because Barkley on the, on the inside, the, he, he, he was mentioning how Teague was a Hawk, which he was a Hawk, but that was like five, six years ago. So I remember that's why it came to my brain. I'm like, is he actually on the, on the box? But that's a good one. Um, And also, okay. A quick basketball note as well. Canada, trying to qualify for the Tokyo Olympics in a couple weeks. Uh, We were talking about this in the group chat over the weekend. They lose to the Czech Republic uh, at their own play-in tournament, hosted in Victoria. It was a six-team field, and they had to win out against the likes of, like you said, it was Czech Republic, it was Turkey in there, it was China, um, Greece with no Giannis, of course. So, and they they had a good team. They had NBA talent. They were missing some guys, albeit, but they had some talent, and unfortunately they lose to uh, a bunch of no-name guys in the Czech Republic outside of your boy, point God, Thomas Sadoransky. Literally. He was the only no- notable name on this Czech Republic team. So yeah. that's a tough one. I mean, this was the tournament to get into the Olympics. They're going to wait another four years to try and get in again, obviously. So it's a... Uh, that's a tough one. The only good thing is that now their U19 program is doing really well. Right. Um, so in four years, a lot of those guys are also going to filter into this mix, mm-hmm. which is just going to provide a better unit for Canada basketball. Uh, you would have liked to see it happen this year. Like I I got ahead of myself. I thought it was a lock. I didn't see them losing to the Czechs or China or anything else past this game with the Czech Republic. Of course. And, uh, well, they, they did. They lost. Uh, so you feel for a guy like Corey Joseph, right? Yeah. Who's, who showed up for Canada all the time. Every time. Like, like he, he's never not there helping, uh, helping Canada basketball. So the, the only plus that I'll take away from it is that it's not a matter of if. It is now a matter of when they make an Olympic run and when they get in because it's, it's a matter of time. Yes. Like they, they, they got guys, like I said, they're going to be going – um, from this U19 program into college. Some of them could be lottery picks. Um, they're just going to continue to develop. Obviously, the guys they have now are going to continue to get better. Like Canada basketball is in a really good spot to to make that push, but you would have liked to see them in there this year Yeah, because uh, cause they, they finally have a roster that, that should be there. Just to get the experience. I mean, yeah. it, it's been a tough 21 years. Going back to the 2000 Olympics, Steve mm-hmm. Nash was the last one to get the team into the Olympics. Um, and they even had Andrew Wiggins play. We've talked about we talked about on this podcast. This has been over two years now. Wiggins not representing Canada. Why isn't he representing Canada? He does. He played really well. Like that last couple of seconds there to get it to overtime against the Czechs. Holy smokes. Yeah. That, what a big baller move to pull up on a on a turnaround three to tie it. Like he played exceptionally well. He was the leader of this. Canadian team and it's just it's a damn shame because you wonder guys like Corey Joe in four years they're I don't know they're gonna be part of the program I don't know I mean damn near like Tristan Thompson wasn't a part of this program but he's another guy that's been a part of this Canadian program for years so it's just yeah it's a bummer and I mean you got to get the health of of Jamal Murray 
back. SGA didn't play in uh, Shake Ilgis Alexander. Like you mentioned, these young guys coming up. It's a really talented team in years going forward. Yeah. But. Didn't think they needed those guys, though. They didn't. Truthfully, of right? they didn't. No. <laughs> like, I thought the fact that they even just sad. had a guy like Lou Dort, who's one of the, if not the best defender. He was definitely the best defender at the tournament. Yeah. And, like, he got a shot that got banked on him because uh, that was the game winner, wasn't it? Uh, I think Lou Dort was defending, and it just, like, banked off a glass and went in. It was an absolute <sighs> prayer of a shot. Oh, man. Um, In overtime, and it's like... Yeah, one of, if not the best defender in basketball, just plays perfect defense and the ball goes in, then you can't obviously make anything left with the last second and a half that you had. No. Um, so, yeah, tough one. See you in four years. Well, tough. I guess three years, technically. Yeah, true, because we get the little the little break there. So we'll see. Three years. We can wait three years. We'll be around in three years, guys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Can't wait. Hope knock, so. Knock on wood. That would, that would not be so, a good thing. Sorry, I got a question. Why is there... Like, how is the play-in to an Olympic tournament, uh, like, you got to win out. Like, so, you can't take one game off. No, so this was this was called the last chance qualifier. This was for the last oh. four spots of the 12-team field for Tokyo. They were basically, there was a tur- there was four tournaments in total um, all, across the, all across the world. One of them was in Victoria. And there were six teams at each, and the winner of each tournament, of the four tournaments, got the last four spots for the Tokyo Olympics. Other than that, the World Championships is where teams like the U.S. and Spain and whoever, they would earn their place in something like the World Championships or or whatever. FIBA Americas, I guess, for as well. So this was a last chance qualifier right. for the Canadian team to make it. Okay, that makes more sense. Because I thought, like, Didn't. literally everybody got in on, like, a <laughs> you got to win out, like... Yeah, Little no, I mean, World the Americans are laughing style. because, I mean, they've never heard of a qualifying tournament. They've ne- no. They have no idea what this is about. No. So, and I mean, they're Wait, sorry, who was? The Americans, they've never heard of a qualifying oh, tournament because... Don't know what just, that's about. No, never. Yeah. Uh, their roster as well looks stacked. Like, it, it, that's, that's a good roster. Mm-hmm. Considering the year we just came off of, guys getting hurt and injured and really tight schedules, to get a Durant and a, and a Beal and, like, that's some, and a Damian Lillard, like, that's a great roster. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch as well, so. Yeah, I wonder how much Kevin Durant's playing because of how it did not end well. Like, just considering how it ended in Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. he's like, well, I'd rather the narrative not be that that people remember. I'm going to be the captain of this Yeah, I'll go a month later and go play for USA. And the crazy thing is, is if this NBA Finals goes seven, Mm -hmm. guys like Booker are still going to the Olympics, which start like two days after the NBA Finals. They're still making the trip over to Tokyo. Yeah, it's going to be tricky to get in. Sure will. But that's yeah, fine. They'll just they'll be like the the lightning and show up for playoffs. And then yeah, the salary caps like yeah, hundred fifty right? billion dollars right. for all these guys. Uh, no salary for the Olympics. That's fun. Um, okay, quick couple notes on NFL. The Cowboys selected as the team to represent the Hard Knocks series on HBO coming up this fall. Is Ben DiNucci still there? I don't know. And I don't care. I don't. You don't want to see. I want Ben DiNucci or nothing. Do you want to see Dak and his recovery from his ankle? You want to see Zeke yeah. eating a bunch of food and just... Could, nom, it could nom. be interesting, right? I mean, I, it's going to be interesting oh, in Dallas. Cowboys, oh my God. It'll be very good. Every Because I think they air on Sundays, if I'm not mistaken, Monday. I think so. So Monday, oh my... American sports talk on Mondays? 
Yeah. It's going to be, it's like basically last summer when The Last Dance came out, mm-hmm. how every Monday was literally just gold on Sports Talk. Right. Talking about the series. Right. It's going to be like that. True. A lot of fun, actually. And uh, finally, Paxton Lynch. You may remember the name. He was a first-round quarterback. Played for the Denver Broncos. They didn't like him. They shipped his ass out or cut him loose. And he's mm-hmm. now signing with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders of the CFL. Another quarterback for maybe yeah, he's the new out. Darian Durant. Paxton Lynch is legit. He's got a rocket. <laughs> yeah. He's got a rocket. We've always known he's got a rocket. but like He fits perfectly in the CFL. Like with the bigger field? Big-ass field, yeah. Like, look the fuck out. Paxton Lynch might drop a 70 touchdowns Oh, this my year. God. He's just going to throw it past everybody. We should. I should honestly should have texted our boy Troy Durrell because he's a big CFL guy, and he, he mentioned that any CFL talk we want to do, like have him yeah. on because he was a good fill-in last week for, for you guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he probably – I wonder what his take on, on Lynch to the, to the Rough Riders would be. He fits the game. Yeah. He definitely fits But it's a different the game. game. We've, we've seen that with multiple U.S. quarterbacks coming True. down south. Manziel, and I, that's the one big one I'm thinking of right now, but it's a different game. So he's got to learn many, that. Like he's none of them throw that. the ball like Paxton Lynch. Like, he no, can that's true. fucking throw. That's true. So well. Yeah. That uh, I, It never made sense to me why he didn't make it in Denver because with that altitude, you'd figure mm-hmm. he could throw 90 yards. But <laughs> Yeah, literally. But I guess not. I don't know. Interesting. Um, all right, wrapping things up with some MLB talk. Lance, what do you got on the docket? Yeah, not much. I mean, just another week in the dead of summer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously the big news that the, the Blue Jays have four representatives in the All-Star game, three of them being starters. So, uh, so congratulations to them as they are currently, uh, they just lost to the Orioles 7-5. to five. Um, oh. So that's an L. All right. Um, hold on. Want to see if the bullpen blew another game? And uh, not really. Kind of. They were down seven three, I believe. Steven Matz gave up four runs, three earned over four innings, and then uh, Trent Thornton gave up three earned in two thirds of an inning. So, well, when when Matzy can't go more than four, that's a, a problem. It's not a good day, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. So Marcus Semyon going to start at second base. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. starting in at first base and. Somehow, Teoscar Hernandez is also a starter. In that's the, the one that doesn't quite <laughs> ring a bell. Like, uh, I think that's Canada coming through with votes because I, I, I guess I don't know. Uh, that one was weird. I think he's, I think he was like fourth in voting or fifth mm-hmm. heading into the end of it. And and no, he's not like a starter because Trout is hurt. He's a starter with Trout with being Trout. in the top three. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so that's weird, but. But yeah, just uh, Corey, your thoughts on on those three All Stars, and then Bo Bichette as a reserve. Good for them. It's, uh, I mean, we've kind of been talking about when this this core was going to pop of young guys, and uh, we're starting to see the development of these guys. I don't, they, you know, we're nowhere near what this team is going to look like when they start getting into playoffs and and start making runs. But that it's exciting for for. Toronto baseball and baseball in Canada and it's just it's just a shame that you know fans in Toronto have hasn't been able to see this team and like they haven't been north of the border um at the Rogers Center but uh you know they've been making the most of the situation down there and I mean they 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 you know good for them good for them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh and Colby Rowdy Telez gets traded today yeah for uh to yeah. the Brewers for another pitcher I believe Trevor Richards 
or something similar to that. Sounds I don't know. Right. He's already yeah. on his third team this season, and we're not even in August. Yeah. Um, but he Wait, started, sorry, what? Yeah, he started with the Rays, uh, went to Milwaukee, and now he's in Toronto. So yeah. third team already this oh, season. Third, oh, third. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. I thought you said, yeah. Yeah. Wait, your siren's going off again, bud? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I am currently in the hospital now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the move, Rowdy Tellez move out. Obviously, they brought in Dickerson, um, but they're starting to look like they're addressing the bullpen. They are. So that's a good thing, I assume. Right? I think that's, I mean, to get what they got out of Tellez, like, I didn't realize how shitty his numbers were with the big club this year. He's been in the minors since the end of June, so a couple weeks now. Uh, but he was hitting, like, barely over 200 with, like, four homers RBI, or eight RBIs, rather. Um, so... He was a, a big part of that first base kind of rotation with a guy like Justin Smoke in years past. And I mean, now it's another body to clear out for potential move of Vladdy to first, like full time, basically, and, and kind of clears up a space in that realm. And he got some some relief pitching, which they obviously need. So um, I think that's a, a pretty smart move by by management. And you, you wonder how many more moves are still to come. Anybody else off this active roster? What sort of prospects you want to give up in, in closer deals um, to the deadline? Because that's the price is only going to go up mm-hmm. as we get closer to the end of July. So um, it's a good moves. And, and I mean, a guy, his stats, I mean, like you mentioned, he's been on his third team this year. Not terrible. Nope. He's got like 40 strikeouts and 30 innings. Like, mm-hmm. You know, ERA just over three and a half. I yeah, think. so like it's not the worst pickup for no. a, for a guy that was hitting terrible in the big league this year. So and they got a prospect pitcher too. So exactly. So I, I think it was a good move all around for what they can get for for Teles. Yeah, it works out. Um, as soon as you bring in Dickerson, who hits left-handed, um, you kind of knew Teles was going to go somewhere simply because he's the only left-handed bat on the bench and mm-hmm. hasn't really produced. Uh, so it was an easy move. I don't really know how many moves are left there just because I still don't think this team's there. I Like, Hyunjin Ryu's had a down month, but he's obviously still really good. But, mm-hmm. like, how do you go and, and make legitimate additions to the bullpen when you look down the, the rest of the, the rotation and you're looking at Robbie Ray, then Steven Matz, Ross Stripling here and there, Alec Manoa... Like, like is is that really worth making moves for Corey? Like is is that really a, a rotation that's paired well enough with the with the lineup to to go and make ads in your bullpen? Well, no. Like I guess when were we having this conversation last last podcast, right? Mhm. I think so. Um but uh, I mean like Trevor Richards, he's 28 years old. Like I don't I don't know his contract situation, but that seems like a guy that, you know, he's been moved around quite a bit. Seems like a guy that you could get on an all right contract and be part of this organization for years to come. I do believe so, he's signed through, I think, next year, by the way. Okay. I so, think. like, as long as the moves are helping you go ahead and, like, you know, like, I don't think, like, kind of Colby was saying, like, Rowdy was not what he kind of looked like coming up originally. And I don't think there was a spot other than being you know, a, a pinch hitter basically on this team going forward. So if you can ship him off and get pitching help for, you know, I know he's 28, but if he's going to help out over the next few years, Richards is like, I mean, you know, that, that kind of move is worth it. But, you know, I just hope that they don't sell prospects and, and think that this is their year when, you know, like we were saying before, this is a year you should be almost selling and trying to get guys that are going to, gel with this team for the next half decade. 
He is ARB eligible next year for, okay. for three more seasons, then becomes a UFA in 2020. Yeah, they all have so all ar- arbitration. Yeah, yeah, they all have this arbitration bullshit in baseball. It's like 17 different levels of it, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, um, But no, the reason I ask is because, like, you know, Jay's fan doesn't think that's enough. Jay's fan wants more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and there's been a lot of calls from from high-profile media all the way down to Randy Random, who has an egg for a Twitter account picture, <laughs> wanting more from from the Jays in regards to addressing their pitching. And I, I, I mean, we've said it before, and I think we'll just keep saying it. It doesn't seem like now's the right time. Uh, the last one, it's also Jays-related, uh, but it surrounds Kevin Biggio, mm-hmm. who uh, went 0-4 again today. Um, I think these stats were as of before the game, but hitting 232 on the year, on base at 341, uh, but only six home runs and 21 RBI, uh, slugging percentage of 376. So he's not exactly hitting for pot by any means. But this is the first year that Kevin Biggio has made the transition to third base. Mm-hmm. And Colby, I'll ask you, and then we'll go to Corey. We saw this last year with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. transitioning across the diamond to first. Yeah, and we were attributing it to weight to everything other than the positional change. But is there something to be said about playing a different position and what that can potentially do because perhaps maybe you're more focused on trying to learn the position. You get off to a bad start on the season, it spirals at the plate, and all of a sudden you're digging yourself a hole and you're hitting 230 where you should be probably in the... like We thought he was going to be a top two hitter in this lineup and he is in the bottom third more often than not. Yeah, we were trying to figure out a way to get him in that top half because mm-hmm. at the mid, I mean, most of last year, he was fantastic at the top of the order, setting the table for for the guys that they had. Um, there's absolutely something to say about a position change because you're exactly right. I think he's trying to not make a mistake. He's probably playing a little tight at third, trying to to learn this new position or just excel the way he was. And he's not probably not... comfortable, even at this stage of the season. So, I mean, he's still on base at 340, but that's, he was closer to 400 last year. Mm -hmm. His, his batting average, you're right. Like he's at 232 right now. That should be closer to 280, 290. Let's just be honest. He was fantastic last year and he's striking out twice as much as he's walking. It's just not a, a typical year for Cavan. So I don't know. There's definitely the, I wouldn't call it an excuse of, of moving to third, but is definitely viable for a guy who is so versatile. Like, let's give him credit. He can go wherever he wants in the diamond. He's played outfield. He's played second, short for a time, and, and now he's playing third. But there's definitely a transition point, and we're seeing it with with Vlad to a certain extent that he's just comfortable now. He, he knows where he's at. He knows what he needs to contribute both offensively and defensively, and he's reaping the rewards this season. And you hope that it doesn't take a full season for for Kevin to get comfortable at third, but it remains to be seen. I still have hope he can. He's not. He's more the guy of last year that we've seen than the guy we're seeing currently this year. I still have belief that he will turn this around. But it's a very tough look because he's a lot more talented than his stats are portraying right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Corey, do you think it's it's positionally that that sparked it, or is it more just just a simply it's a down year? It is what it is and move on well it could be a down year for sure like i'm just trying to think like i mean going from second base to third base a lot of 
you know, fans that don't haven't played baseball or don't follow baseball too hard just think that, oh, you know, it's a longer throw, so it's tougher. But, you know, there's there's so much more that goes into it. It's your timing, it's 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 your footwork, it like it's a completely different position. The angle almost. the ball's coming off the bat. Exactly. How hard they're hit, how much yeah, mm-hmm. like how much time you have to react and like so I mean, the and obviously he's going to be taking over the past year a lot more reps at third. I'm not saying that takes away from your hitting reps, but if if that's your focus on playing this new position at the highest level in the world, like maybe that takes away your hitting. And you know, everything it's all confidence, right? Uh, I mean, this is a guy that has a less than a thousand at bats in his MLB career, right? That's nothing. Um, so, you know, it'll come around. There's nothing to worry about. I mean, Vladdy had an off year like you were talking about, and, and he figured it out. Uh, you know, this is just kind of growing pains with with moving a young guy to a new position that even if he, he has played a little bit before, that if, if you're going to stick him in there um, for the long term, he's that's something he's got to get more comfortable with. So, um, yeah, like I said, nothing, nothing to really worry about. It, it sucks that, you know, the guys around him are, are doing really well and it's pushing him down, but... Uh, I, I think he's a guy that's going to be able to figure it out. And for what it's worth, he's hasn't really taken a whole bunch of heat because everyone else has been playing so well. True. Um, mm-hmm. It just makes me wonder, like now that you see, even if Marcus Semyon was having half the year that he's having, uh, is it almost worth now trying to bring him back again next year, maybe on a, on a two-year deal and trying, well, maybe at least just a one, try and get him back in the fold again because do you worry that you run the risk of then, okay, now Kevin's back over at second and it's growing pains again? Because yeah, there, there's something to be said, and, and we just take it for granted that these players can can go over to a different position and it's all fine and, mm-hmm. and that has no effect. But so often that carries over to what you see at the plate. And then if you're scuffling at the plate, then it piles up. And it's just these it, – Corey, you've probably experienced it a bunch of times too where – you start scuffling, all of a sudden it snowballs. Then you're behind the dish. In your case, when you're catching, and and you're you're not getting in front of a a, a spiked curveball, or you're not calling a sequence of pitches that are right. And then you go back to the plate, and you're still striking out, and your timing's all fucked up, and it all kind of blends together. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, you can't really get out of that. And I wonder if we didn't see that with Vladdy last year, and we're not seeing that again with Kevin this year, where the guys like Ben Zobrist or I, even like guys like Ian Happ to an extent mm-hmm. that are able to travel to different parts of the park any given day, show up, play it well, and still hit. Those are way more rare than I think we even gave it credit for. You know, hundred percent. No, you're. And exactly. then I wonder what they're going to do with Semyon. Like maybe, maybe seeing his production, you, you bring him back again. You, you you maybe commit to him to a couple years because the money's not the issue. I don't think with this team. Like I think they, they can. Point. No, I, I'm pretty sure they can go and sign him to a two year deal and feel fine about it. Yeah. At whatever the dollar amount's going to be, um, and then you keep Kevin at third because now that you finally have something clicking, right? And we were talking. Corey was saying, it's all about trying to find the guys that fit together in this unit. Um, Semyon clearly fits. Yes. And so, and he's clearly comfortable at second because uh, he hasn't really been that much of a defensive liability at all this season. Um, there might be something to bring him back and, and get him re-signed and, and run this lineup back again next year and simply focus on the pitching. I don't know. And I think, I guess it might be a decision by the Blue Jays whether they want to make Cavan a permanent full-time third baseman. Like, mm-hmm. if that's the move, you want to bring back Simeon, then there's no way he's going back to second. You're right. But if, if they value, because in all accounts, this was a short-term thing. 
But I know Simeon's right. performance has changed a lot of things, including his trade value. Where he like, if does he go in this trade deadline? That's a whole different kettle of fish. But if you're w- wondering and worried about Cavan and his production at the plate and have anything to do with him playing third, and you've seen what he did last year, you wonder if that comes into play to get him back into his natural position to bring back that offensive punch that could replicate what Simeon has done to a certain extent. Not quite the the pop because, I mean, I didn't expect Simeon to hit 21 homers already, but no. um, it's it, you wonder if it is a mind game thing. If if that's the call, you basically got to make Calvin a, like for the rest of your Blue Jays tenure, you're playing third base and he's got to accustom to it. He can't keep, you know, volleying back and forth wherever they see fit kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And like, I guess like similar to the, the Nugent Hopkins conversation we had earlier in the podcast and, and to quote Colby, like, you know, the, the devil, you know, or the devil, you don't right? like, mm-hmm. unless you have a replacement coming into this infield that, you know, like I, I mentioned in Espinal earlier, but, um, you know, if there if there's a guy that can that that can get starting role a starting role in this team, like I think you got to keep this guy. I mean, how old's George Springer? He's he's older than Semyon, right? So if you're going to commit to Springer with this age group, like Semyon should be no problem at all. We should we should mention they do have guys on the way, right? Jordan Groshans, Austin Martin are both down there. Mm-hmm. Um, are they like? Well, like let's next put it this year way. ready or like two years? Two they should be on the team. They should be right. So you, yeah, you give you give Semyon a blank check for two years, I think. Right. That's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, wow, I didn't even realize Corey's right though. Yep. A year a year younger. Simeon is 30 and Springer's 31. That's I did not. I expected Simeon to be a little bit older than that, but but Simeon just fits so well, and I think it's tough to find that kind of chemistry with with a with a unit like what they've built, right? But but clearly everything in this lineup sits nicely that they don't really got to do a ton to it. If they were to add a catcher that was better than what they have, sure. Um, but outside of that, like they're pretty well cemented with, with their starters. I mean, they're tinkering with the benches we've seen. Um, and then they have their prospects that are going to come up. But I, I would I would think that maybe this halfway roughly part of the year is – from from Marcus Semyon's been enough to to try and bring him back for one or two more years, um, and, and kind of keep that together, and, and then start filtering in guys like Groshans and Martin to maybe bench roles or or bring call them up when there's injuries, have them play a few, you know, get them get them some experience at the big league level, mm-hmm. and, and then kind of go from there. But yeah, a lot of options now for for the Blue Jays uh, offensively. It's just they they are still waiting. On the back end, they're waiting for pitching, but there's a lot of options. Alec Manoa's looking good. Yes, so. yes, and we talked about it's early, but he's looking good. We talked about if he if it's the right move to bring him up this early, and after a couple really good starts in Double A slash Triple, and like you said, he's had some he's had some up moments, he's had some down moments, but that's expected. Uh-huh. Overall, he's been very very good for what the Blue Jays were looking for. So definitely, definitely. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see. But uh, well, they got a couple weeks, I guess, till the trade deadline-ish thing that they have in baseball where it's kind of a deadline but kind of not. There's like two deadlines. Yeah. Uh, just have one. Waiver and non-waiver. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. Yeah. I wish they just had Ex- one. Exciting times in Toronto, though. Like, I remember just the, the team that made the two runs a few years ago. Like, that was a team you know there was uh, like, there was going to be a time where that, you know, 
ended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this like if this if this team gets into the playoffs the next couple of years, like that's that's going to be a long time of success. I think you could you can gear up for a lot of fun seasons. But what's really and what's really cool is like they're starting to look like the early stages of the Dodgers, where they have the Dodgers have a list of guys on their prospects list that could play tomorrow. And it would just be another dude that's out there hitting one for three. Like, that, that's kind of where they're starting to trend, right? Right. With, with the amount of prospects that they have where it's like, okay, like, I guess Jordan Groshan's going to come up tomorrow. <laughs> He'll hit one for three and then get sent back down to AAA. Mm-hmm. Like, to, to be able to have that ability and, and, and be trending in that direction is really cool. Like we said, it's just going to be a, a wait and see till we get to the offseason for, for what they do on the, on the pitching side of things. Or maybe... They, they start going after it this year. I doubt it, but we'll see. We shall see. Uh, anything else, Corey, you want to touch on before we head out of here? Um, Italy game today for soccer was hey! pretty good. That's all they really want to talk about. Italia. The, kick. the fucking the shootout was actually pretty entertaining. Italy missed their first. I was like, oh, it's over. And then Spain missed theirs. I was like, oh. <laughs> I think it's Italy actually won. coming home. I think England might win this thing. Yeah, you, oh, like on the other you side. think England's going to win it? I I mean, they haven't given up a goal in two matches. Uh, yeah. uh, Denmark's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think Denmark's going to beat them, unfortunately. Mm. When's their semi? Tomorrow. Okay. So for people who are listening, not when we're recording, uh, July 7th. <laughs> and then the final goes down Sunday the 11th, I believe is the day. Um, okay. But yeah, Italy's won a lot of tight games, a lot of two ones, or or in this case one one with penalties, uh, and England just seems like they're not conceding any goals and they're scoring at will at times. So that would be a great final, regardless. Italy and England in Wembley, I think it'll be. Oh my goodness, I think it'll be. Yeah, it will be in England. Yeah, that's where the the semis and the finals are being played in England. <laughs> Denmark won their last two matches in England, though. So Okay. Last two matches they've played in England, they've won. And uh, that's where they'll be tomorrow, a.k.a. June 7th or whatever the day is. Yeah. Whenever we'll you decide to listen to this one. Yeah. So you might already know the victor. True. We might be, you might be knowing the final come Sunday. So True. we'll discuss that next week as well. Anything on your end there? No. A lot. No, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, downloading, finding us, subscribing. We appreciate it. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash on the board podcast. We're also on Twitter as well at on the board pod next week as well, guys is uh, MLB all-star game on the Tuesday. So uh-huh. a week from tonight as of recording, uh, we talked about this with Troy. I did uh, the home run derby in Coors field. Holy smoke. Right. That's going to be fun. Could be good. We might discuss that if we record there on Sunday. We might break that down uh, and get the your picks for the home run derby because that's obviously the best part, one of the best parts of like all all star activities yeah. across sports. So yeah, true. That'll be fun to uh, to witness next week. Uh, for Lance Dahl, Corey Bacoskis, Colby McKee, signing off. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to On the Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. Yes. Yes!